Hello, everyone, and welcome to Space Junk, a weekly podcast dedicated to the amazing hobby of amateur astronomy. Each week, we'll bring you interesting and fun discussions with an eye towards providing you with the latest information and advice on the tools, gadgets, software, and techniques for maximizing your enjoyment of the night sky. Your hosts are Tony Darnell from DeepAstronomy.Space and Dustin Gibson from OPT Telescopes, a world leader in telescopes and accessories. No, and then I'm going to hand it over to you. I just, yeah. I just, you know, I, I just want to see. I just the record to... button's on, so help yourself, man. I'm going to try my hand at a Tony introduction here. Here we go. You ready? Okay, go for it, dude. <laughs> All right. Welcome back to the Space Junk Podcast. This is your host, Tony Darnell. With me today, as always, I've got Mr. Dustin Gibson, and we, and we are going to talk about. All things amateur astronomy, we're going to deliver this in a way. Today, you're going to lose your space virginity. So, let's kick oh, this wow. off and um, let's really get this thing going. You guys ready? <laughs> Am I that breathy? Do I do I? <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Hey, everyone. <laughs> Let's kick this thing off, man. Maybe you should do it the right way. Let's right, do everybody. it the right way. Uh, okay. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Space Junk, a weekly podcast that we, at least we try to put it out every week, where we talk about all things astrophotography. And today, we are really excited to talk about... Uh, Stuff that I'm, I'm all discombobulated now. Thank you, Dustin. Um, I'm, I'm today. We're t- excited to talk about today. We're going to talk about a topic that I don't know that it's all that hilarious or humorous because it, to me, it's a it's a very serious one. We're going to talk about education and astronomy. We're going to talk about the general science level of understanding of the things that happen over our heads. And even though most of you listening to our podcast are very familiar with the happenings and the goings on in the night sky, which is a great thing, as both educators and and people who are involved in the industry of, of amateur astronomy, we think a lot about the future and the and how can we reach people how can we get more people involved in the wonder of the night sky and so today we're going to talk about that and with us today is uh alizé schilling she is the marketing manager for opt telescopes and she comes to us from outside the the field of amateur astronomy her job when she started uh, was not part of this so we, we would like to get her perspective so are you out there alizé i am hi tony how's it going that's really great. Thanks for joining our podcast. And Dustin is, um, I'm not going to introduce him because he already introduced himself. <laughs> yeah. Oops. Oops. <laughs> in, a, in a real breathy way. I'm yeah. Mr. Dustin Gibson. So yeah, I'm, you didn't I'm say here. where you were from. I'm here. Okay. Yeah. Welcome <laughs> Dustin. Okay, good. All right. So I don't know this, this topic of the education level of astronomy. It's something that, like I said, Dustin and I think about a lot. And we wanted to get someone's uh, uh, sort of viewpoint on coming into this hobby from the outside. So as I set the stage for us and tell us how you came to be where you are now and just give us a little insight into basically your knowledge level about science coming in, uh, in your experience. Yeah, sure. Um, well, before Coming to OPT, I um, I really didn't have any experience with astronomy uh, at all, really. Just the basic 
you know, looking up at the sky, being interested in stars, thinking that it's cool, but I never um, was immersed in it the way I am now. Uh, you know, I took a, a class in college to fulfill a physics credit, um, and that was an astronomy class. I had a lecture part of it and a lab part, and uh, the, the lecture part I retained absolutely nothing from. Um, but, you know, being in the lab part of that class was was really interesting, and that's really the only experience I had um, before coming here. Uh, so pretty basic as far as, as that goes, and I think a lot of people can relate to that. Um, it, it's not something that's very out there, I guess you could say. But coming at this from outside the hobby, were, was, was space something that always interested you? And I'd like to get a gender perspective too, because I would like to know if you felt growing up as a girl, were you ever discouraged for think, from thinking about science topics and in that kind of, you know what I'm asking about? It's just kind of getting a feel for how you were exposed to science. Uh, I wouldn't say that I, I ever felt discouraged from, from it. Uh, I think it's, it's more or less the literacy that's put out there and, and getting, you know, putting interest in young minds, um, you know, and as you're going through, you know, your, your teens and all that, it's, you're interested in different things. And I think it's just a matter of the way that it's taught, the way that, uh, the way that people are exposed to it. So as far as the gender thing, I wasn't necessarily discouraged from oh, that okay. for, for being a girl, but, well, um, you know, I, I think across the board, it's just the way the access to the information, how it's being uh, portrayed. But before coming to OPT, did you think about space much? Uh, just, you know, the basics as far as being interested in, you, you know, kind of taking time to think and you're looking at the sky and you're like, man, this is, it's wild. You know, you're thinking about all these things and how, ex you know, the expanse of the universe and kind of, you know, you start to think about your, your existence and how, huge this is. And then you, for me, at least I, I just get overwhelmed. I'm like, I don't even know where to start. And I don't know anything about this. And it's, it's a little like, you don't know how to, you don't really know how to think about it. It's, it's, it's kind of crazy. But you didn't really, so there wasn't really a sense that, you know, that it wasn't part of your daily or not daily, but even, even just a periodic sort of interest that you had before, before now. No, no. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. What about you, Dustin? What kind of, how would you describe you're younger than me by let's just say a lot. And, um, you, what was your experience like getting, growing, uh, going through the school system, education system? So most of my schooling was in Alabama. And, um, I can honestly say that most of the questions we're going to ask today, I wouldn't have been able to answer any of them until I was probably, you know, 30 years old. And, um, it's not something that was ever talked about. I never had an astronomy class through high school at all, um, or, or any school, actually. Um, I didn't go to my undergrad for astronomy. It wasn't until grad school that I started with planetary science. And um, yeah, it was just not something that was ever part of a discussion. You know, I had never looked through a telescope ever um, through my, you know, teens into my 20s. I'd never seen a telescope out uh, solar or, you know, night viewing. At any point, I didn't know anybody that owned one. So I can say that where I was there, at least, you know, myself as the sample size, it was just not something that was part of a discussion at any point. And um, it just wasn't on people's minds. It wasn't on the educational system's mind, it didn't seem. 
And I guess when I think about it, I mean, I grew up in Florida and I went through the Florida system until I was in high school. And then I moved to Colorado uh, where I went to high school. And the, the experiences were more or less the same for me. I, I got science. Uh, there was a science unit growing up. And the, but this was the 60s or actually the 70s and the 80s. And so uh, there was still an emphasis in the science program or or to have a science program in my, in general education, at least in my experience. And so what I've noticed though, but I've had two sons, both of whom I've, I've raised up into the, also into the public school system, almost entirely in Colorado and a little bit in Maryland. And because of the way science is funded, or I'm sorry, education is funded in our country, it's done with property taxes and it's done on a county basis, almost across the country, local people pay for their education system. And what that means is that people who are affluent or who pay a lot of property taxes end up in a public school system that is relatively affluent and they have a lot of resources. But in other areas where they're rural and the property taxes are low, uh, those school systems don't get as many resources. So it can vary wildly uh, from one area of the country to another. So the education system in this country is very uneven. And of course, we've tried to introduce standards to make sure everybody knows certain things growing uh, as they grow up. But those those get huge pushback because what ends up happening is standardized testing ends up causing teachers to teach a test and not necessarily how to learn. And I don't know if that is the reason that there doesn't seem to be a lot of interest in science. But I can tell you intrinsically when we're born people seem interested in space and astronomy. It's like we've had guests on our podcast here who have said, and you've said it yourself, you know, Dustin, do you, do you, you know, look at these stars up there. Isn't this cool? And you're not going to meet anybody who says no. Right. So we kind of have a intrinsic interest in space and the universe and a curiosity, but something happens somewhere along the way, whether it's the education system that doesn't, give us a lot of resources, uh, whether it's a lack of valuing teachers, which is another part of it. We don't pay teachers a wage that causes them to want to choose this as a profession. Uh, so peop- the, the, the teacher skill level is generally quite low because we don't pay for higher skilled teachers. And the system itself is kind of geared against uh, the student in a lot of ways in terms of learning science. So I don't know. It's it, There's a lot of factors here, but I think we can all agree that we would love to get more people into amateur astronomy. So how can we do that? And I think that's what we're going to try and talk about here today. That's why I thought this was such an important podcast to do. And what I was excited about is, you know, I, I mean, I've been in school 11 years. I'm still currently in grad school and probably always will be. It's oh, I just, didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. It's it's just become a habit. So I finish a program and I just go into another one generally is what happens. But um, are you a professional student? Is that uh, it? It's kind of become that way. But, you know, it, it's <laughs> it's a strange thing because when people ask me, you know, obviously the assumption would be that I think that school is very valuable. And um I do and I don't. I think that for most people, it's really not. I hate to say that, but I just um, – I think that what school ends up doing is not measuring and encouraging intellectual stimulation or anything like that. What it does is it measures discipline, and that's not really what the point of it's supposed to be. It's supposed to get you thinking, and 
it's like you said, when you're, when you're training for a test, what it does is it kind of puts you inside a box and you, you learn to live inside that box very well and train for this one specific thing. And then once that's gone, you know, your knowledge of it can be gone with it and you still look like you're very successful instead of getting you to think, you know, kind of that, uh, that chemist reduction or construction through reduction mentality where you understand the system, you understand the way things work from the ground up so that you can, your knowledge can grow with it and you can push that as far as you want. Instead, we just learn to, to memorize the answers of things. And, and I don't think that that's super beneficial. And with that being the case, you can probably learn just as much at Barnes and Noble as you can, you know, or on Google as you can in most modern school systems. But, um, I think it has its place, but in general, I think because of the, the modern structure and, and how easy it is to get information now, I think that place has changed a lot. And, uh, I'm not sure that, um, you know, society's changed its, its, the value attached to it with it as fast as it's been rapidly changing. To, to piggyback off that, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I, I took a college course, just, a, you know, one semester class in astronomy, and I've learned more being here at OPT, just, you know, working in the marketing department from being around people who not only know a whole lot about this uh this field but they're passionate about it and it's it's I'm learning about it in ways that I I'd never heard about in the class I took or you know at all um you go online you start to read articles and you start to read things about astronomy and space and a lot of it does end up being technical and it doesn't um it doesn't gear towards people who like myself didn't know anything about it so uh, being around those people and being around uh people are not only interested in it, but are, are passionate about it is, is huge. And you learn a lot that way uh, because you see that people are, you know, that they, they're passionate. They're, it's, they're wanting to learn and they're wanting to teach for that reason. I think you've hit on it exactly, Alizé. You were in an environment now at OPT. You're surrounded by enthusiasm, by people who love this stuff. And you it makes you, it draws you in, doesn't it? It makes you feel like, God, these people are really psyched about this coming up eclipse, or these the fact that that Mars is at opposition, and and look at these guys are they're, they're excited about what they saw last night through the telescope. That has an effect, doesn't it? Oh yeah, on you personally and your interest, and say, I kind of want to do this too. Yeah, absolutely. I had Blake, one of our guys here the other day, come up to me and and say that he uh he's gonna be recognized for finding a storm on. Uh, Uranus. And I was like, I didn't even, there's storms on planets. What? Uh, and, you know, it was just interesting that all this research and all these things that are being discovered are things that, I mean, I would never, ever even think about. Um, so it's, and there, and, and there you go. I mean, that you, so that coupled with what Dustin just said about, you know, learning facts and figures should never be the the goal of an education system, you couple that together and what do you get? You you need to emphasize critical thinking. You also need to put this critical thinking in an environment that is contagious. And this is where the teacher problem really shows itself. Because if you don't have an enthusiastic teacher or someone in your classroom who is just super excited about the, the stars and the planets and things like that. It, there's, there's no hope of, of translating that into a, a student's 
you know, enthusiasm unless they bring it themselves. And you're going to get that. You're always going to get a student. They're called nerds and they're, and they tend to be, they they tend to be derided, but these kids are inherently interested in what's going on. They want to learn about black holes. They want to know what, you know, what, what the big bang was, what happened before the big bang and, Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, what's the universe expanding into. They have all these questions and no one is very enthusiastic with answers. And so I think that kind of environment is, is crucial and one that, we don't foster, at least in the United States, with science. So that brings us right into why we're doing this podcast, right? So here's here's the idea. We are going to ask Alizé a series of questions, and everyone listening can uh, can play along here. This is this is real research right now with a sample size of one. And right, <laughs> and Alizé was nice enough to let us pick on her. And this is this is why I chose Alizé. So Alizé came on board here with at OPT with you know, no previous knowledge of really anything about the hobby and started in marketing as a content writer and has very, very quickly moved her way all the way up to managing the entire marketing department. She is extremely sharp. And because of those two things combined, not coming in previously interested in the hobby, but instead being thrown into it and doing a lot for the industry. I mean, managing a lot of the SEO and and marketing practices for more than just this company, but for those of our partners and, and the other companies we work with, um, you know, I think that this is a really good way to say it because I don't think the answer for not knowing, hey, what is, you know, a nebula or, you know, which way does X planet rotate? I don't think that that is indicative of somebody being dumb or whatever, you know, whatever uh, people want to describe it as I think what it is, is saying like, this is not something that comes up in day to day conversation. It's not like you're driving down the road and you you drive into a galaxy, right? Or, or anything like that. It just doesn't come up. And so the only way you would know is if the educational system is making sure you do. And I'm not so sure that it is. So I think it'll be interesting to find out kind of hear what and we may even find some things ourselves that we we don't know. So, um, yeah, let's start with some of these questions. Let's go through some things and just see see how deep it really goes. Okay, go ahead. Uh, you start. Okay, so let's start with uh, let's start with one that I think um, I would probably guess that most people know the answer to this. Although it, it is a little bit of a trick question because some people can't let go of one of them. But it's not, I'm scared to answer it wrong. <laughs> let's, uh, let's start here. I think you've got this one. How many planets are there in our solar system? Eight. Eight. Yeah. Whew. Yeah, that's right. I, although, although we did just do a podcast on conspiracy theories. Should we include some of those? <laughs> Pluto's one of them, right? Yeah, let's come back to the conspiracy theories because it's related. But yes, um, uh, that's right. It is is eight planets in our solar system. Pluto was demoted in uh, 2008, I think, 2007, something like that, uh, from by the IAU. So yeah, it is no longer, it is considered a minor planet now. Mm -hmm. So, all right. Well, how about this one? What causes the seasons? Uh, the moon, <laughs> the sun, the, I, you know, I don't know. No, this I is, this is, yeah. And this was part of a survey that was done for a Harvard grad. So don't, don't feel bad. Uh, these were people who graduated from Harvard. They asked them some basic questions. And one of them was what causes seasons and a very tiny percentage of people knew the answer. Wait, the answer is. I might know it. Is it the, the tilt? 
Bingo. Of the that's earth. It. The that's tilt it. of the earth. Wow. That's it. Wow. It come from behind there. How'd you come up with that? I know. <laughs> I don't know. I've just got some filing cabinets in here okay. that I just have okay. to go through. Yeah, that's good. That's impressive. That's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> now, and, and that is that's exactly right. And some people would say, well, but the the Earth is closer in the summer to the sun than than it is in the winter, and that's actually not true. It's actually closer to the sun in the winter time. Uh, but you, the the question, you know, needs to be, you know, what where is it summer? Where is it winter? Depends on where you are in the Earth. And that's all based on the tilt, which the Earth is tilted 23 and third degrees away from stri- the uh, with respect to the orbit of the Earth around the Sun, and that causes the seasons. Um, because as the northern hemisphere is pointed away from the sun, it's winter, and as it goes around the sun, uh, six months later, it's pointing towards the sun, and it's the sun is higher in the sky, and it's summertime. So, which is why the northern and southern hemispheres are on exact opposite seasons. That's right. Australia right now is 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 ending its summertime, and it's coming off of one of the hottest summers it's ever had. It reached, mm-hmm. I think, forty five Celsius uh, at some some days, so it was really super hot. Yeah. So, um, but you know, I just want to say, when we, before we started the con, the, uh, the, the podcast, you asked me which way the earth rotated counterclockwise or clockwise. I don't know. Uh, but an important point to make here is that it's okay not to know, because what I can now do is reason through it myself. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm going to p- picture myself standing over the North pole and I know that the earth or the sun rises in the East and sets in the West. So what kind of rotation would I need to get to have the sun rise in the east over the eastern coast of, uh, of the United States? And um, that direction uh, would be, I think, counterclockwise. So that's right. it would be counterclockwise going around. That's right. So, um, But that's a visual thing. And that is something called critical thinking, which is something that if you don't know, it's a skill that will serve you throughout. If you learn how to learn then you don't need to know this stuff in your head. You can just derive it. That's what my professors in physics used to always tell me. Don't memorize equations, derive them from first principles, and you can do that, you know, you can get the right answer every time. Problem with that advice is that you don't have time to do that in a test. So you have to hurry it up and move along. But that's something that I think, you know, we shouldn't feel too bad about if you don't have a fact or figure in your head. Um, because if you can reason through it, that's that's and that's what Alizé just did, right? With uh, the right. with the with the seasons question. Yeah. Okay. Do you have another one? I do, and this one is um, something pretty pretty relevant. Um, we are facing climate change on Earth, and um, some people will not like me saying that, but um, we it's something that we're facing. And there's another planet that can give us hints into that into what that could potentially mean. What is the hottest planet in the solar system? Temperatures. Oh, man. I don't know. This, oh, the sun's not a planet. I don't know. I don't know the answer. What would you guess? Is the sun a planet? No. <laughs> Um, let's see. I would say Mars or Mercury. Mars. I'm going to go with Mars. Mars. Okay. And why? 
Honestly, I have not used my critical thinking skills on that one. I just kind of <laughs> see <laughs> Mercury. Mercury I, sounded like a, a pretty good guess, being the closest to this sun. You know, I think that it's one that would be a pretty fair assumption, right? Yeah. What What do you say, Tony? Well, I kind of think it's a trick question because I my initial response is to say Venus, but then I'm thinking, well, I know Jupiter gives off more heat than it receives from the sun, and are those temperatures higher? than what will be on Venus, and I don't know the answer. I'd have to look it up. So I'm going to say Venus, followed by maybe Jupiter. Yeah, Venus. Venus. And the reason? Well, it because you prefaced all of this with, with climate change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's <laughs> you a gave runaway. Away, you, you gave away a hint there, so it's a right. runaway greenhouse effect because of the atmosphere is so dense and thick there. Right, which is exactly what could happen here, right? It's kind of giving a glimpse of worst case scenario um, when you you start that positive feedback loop of climate change. It can do exactly that. It can run away and um, just get worse and worse eventually exponentially. And um, then you have a situation like Venus where it's not as close to the sun as Mercury, but actually a lot hotter. And I think it's important to realize that uh, we're nowhere we're nowhere near approaching a runaway effect here on Earth, but uh, it is a it is a warming to the point where some major changes are going to happen to our <laughs> ecology. <laughs> it's probably good that you say that. Yeah, I don't want people thinking I'm saying the world's going to end. You know, next year, <laughs> not from a one runaway greenhouse right. effect, but right. but from other things for sure. And for that, see uh, conspiracy theory podcast. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see that. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right yeah did you have more questions you wanted to ask uh yeah well you answered the uh the earth rotating how about this one i get this one at star parties a lot um what's the difference between a galaxy and a nebula oh i actually know this one surprisingly um wait so uh, a galaxy is just a cluster of stars i believe and a nebula, it's is that a star that has exploded? It th- that's the one that will emit gases. <laughs> Essentially, is is what I know about nebulas. Um, and then, yeah, galaxies are clusters of stars. Sure, I mean, I think that we can we can take that answer, right? I think there's yeah. there's quite a bit more to it, but yeah. So a galaxy, like the picture you've got behind you here of Andromeda, is yeah. I mean, it's much much larger than just a cluster of stars. You know, you can have globular clusters or open clusters, which are clusters of stars. You know, sometimes in the hundreds of thousands. But when we're talking about galaxies, we're talking about something much much larger. I mean, when you're looking at the night sky. Everything you see in the night sky, with the exception of one thing, Andromeda, when you're in a really dark sky, is in a very small percentage of one galaxy, which is our own. So all of those stars that you see in the night sky are in a single galaxy, plus over 100 billion others, right? So we're, we're talking about not just a, a group of stars, but everything, all the nebulae, all the stars, all the clusters, all of everything, all of the planets. This is all in one galaxy that we can see. And so when you're talking about galaxies, you are talking about the largest things, right? These are huge, huge groupings of basically everything. And then often, you know, black holes in the center of them even. And so... That, those blow my mind. I, yeah. have, I, have, I can't work my brain around right. black holes. Right. It's, it's crazy. Neither can astronomers. Yeah. Don't no, worry. Nobody can. Yeah, nobody can. So you're not alone. But... Um, 
Yeah, nebula. These are the the pictures that we're posting on Instagram every day. These are the colorful gases, you know, whether they're reflection, they're reflecting light, or emission nebulae. Um, these are the big colorful gases and all the dust that you're seeing where a lot of times they're where new stars are born you know like the rosette or um the lagoon or even orion nebula which is probably the most popular um you know you've got baby stars being formed there kind of like what uh, a rolling snowball happens with but happening with gravity instead these things getting bigger and bigger and pulling more mass into it until eventually it becomes planet size and then bigger and then as it reaches a certain mass can start to nuclear reaction necessary to become a star um you have an easier way to describe that tony nope that's pretty good okay all yeah. right uh let's see I, I i seem to be fixated on the seasons so um how long does it take the earth to go around once in its orbit mm. would that be is that a day or a year Go you on, tell me. What do you think? Uh, a, a year. Yes, that's right. Well, 365 <laughs> days. That's right. Mm -hmm. uh, let's see. Man, I didn't know I was going to be tested today. Yeah. Oh, oh I no, know. No. Well, I, I feel kind of guilty. <laughs> I feel kind of guilty about it because I don't think that the, what, what what's impressive here and what we need to remember is that, you know, I, I, I'm meeting you for the second time, Alice, but, but Dustin's working with you every day. And, and he says, you know, you're an extremely smart person. And I don't think that's any kind of reflection of, you know, the, the knowledge level of astronomy does not mean just because you don't know these facts uh, that you're not a smart person. And, and so I don't think those two should ever be confused. No, what's, not at all. What's, yeah, yeah, but I think that what when we start to have problems is when you have people denying these facts or saying that, you know, the, 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 the earth is not the shape that we think it is or whatever. And we had a, a podcast, a couple of podcasts ago where we talked about, you know, where do these conspiracy theories, where do flat earth, uh, ideas come from. And I'm going to just say that I, I, I think that it is a lot of the people that you would meet at a flat earth convention, or someone who does not believe that climate change is is actually occurring and that humans are causing it. These are not stupid people. These are all quite smart people. In fact, some of them I met are incredibly intelligent. And and so it isn't a matter of intelligence level whether or not you believe in 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 conspiracy theories or whether you're a flat earther or whatever it happens to be. It's a, it's a it, it is a sign that you have been failed by the system, by the education system, and most importantly, by science communicators like myself or astronomers, because they have not done their job. And, and by that, I mean, they've, in many cases, when they do astronomy outreach or astronomy communication, they do it in quite a belligerent way. And it tends to be exclusive. And they, they astronomers in many cases, or scientists in many cases, do not make that person feel as if they could understand this. And if they have questions that are outside of what an astronomer might deem worthy, they get angry and they belittle and they, they make that person feel uh, ostracized. So what is that person supposed to do? If a person is trying to find a community 
within science and is being rejected because he's asking questions like, well, wait a minute, the flat, the flat earth thing kind of makes sense to me. And here's why it makes sense. And to then just be jumped on about it. Well, that's a failure of science education and communicators because we have lost someone who is potentially quite smart and could be a, a contributor into this community. And we've just pissed them away. We've just told them to go screw off because you believe screwy things. And then what do they do? They go to a flat. Why do you, why do you think flat earth societies are taking off right now? It isn't because of the facts and figures that they're trying to uh, teach everybody. It's because they've got a community. They trust, they, they belong with each other now and they all understand one another. So there's nothing you nor I, nor Alizé, nor Fraser Kane can do to change the mind of someone who believes in a flat earth because they have invested their emotional well-being in that community. What are they going to do? Say, oh, you're right. Your facts are absolutely right. There is no, uh, the earth is round. And then where does that leave them? Their community is immediately going to ostracize them. They won't be a member of that community anymore. And then they're going to still be ridiculed here because they used to believe in something that we think is stupid. So, of course, they're not going to leave the, the flat earth society that they've built around. They, they've got friends. They've got a community there. So it's a failure. We didn't teach them. We didn't include them. And we ridiculed them. And that's why conspiracy theories thrive. I don't know if this was your experience, but but I agree with everything you're saying wholeheartedly. And my experience with the academic community has been that that's something that's pretty rampant in that community where there's like this pretentious, um, almost like an elitism in that yes. community where there's a frustration even. You know, if I'm, if I'm at certain star parties and I'm there with, I've been there with professors and and a lot of people with even, you know, fairly big names in, in that community. And um, somebody will ask a question that they see as stupid, like the kind of things we're talking about now. Or, you know, the one that kills me is, so you guys are astrologers, right? Mm -hmm. And astronomers tend to get very frustrated by this question. And it always blows my mind. It's like, what are you frustrated about? Why is that something that is offensive? It's like, do you really need someone else's knowledge of something that is not part of their day-to-day -day life to validate your intelligence? Yeah. Like, is that what you need? Which, which person here is stupid? Not the person who has no reason to know anything about astronomy, but the person whose life is astronomy, who is still upset that someone who's not actively participating, but wants to engage right now, who has a casual interest, doesn't know the terminology. Which one's foolish? You know, Absolutely. and it's it's ridiculous. And it's you a see failure. It, yeah, you see it all the time, but then they walk away and it's like, how can they not know that? How can they think that, you know, that... Pluto is still a planet or, and it's like, who gives a shit why they think that? Like, it doesn't matter. We have an opportunity here to talk to somebody who genuinely has an interest, even if only for this moment, we have a chance to reach somebody about something that we care about. Our, our goal here should not be to validate our own intelligence or, you know, to boost our own ego through it. Who gives a shit how much we know about it? That's not the point. That's not why we're all standing out here in the middle of the desert with telescopes. Yep. You know? Yeah. Oh, I, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, I, I still, you know, don't know much of anything about astronomy and I feel like I have a duty to pass on whatever knowledge I do have, um, you know, to, to help people understand what some of this stuff is about because I jumped into it and I automatically 
was super interested in this stuff. And it's, you know, it's not just because it was my job, but it's because this is extremely interesting and it's thought provoking and there's so much more to learn, um, you know, that even researchers don't know. And it has so much opportunity, which I think is is one of the, the you know better things of it too, is the opportunities that are out there to, you know, discover more about the universe. And you're part of a community, right, Alize? I mean, you you are now included. It's very inclusive where you are now, isn't it? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, I'd, <laughs> I don't say a lot about it because, again, I don't know much about it, but I very much feel like I'm part of it. Uh, and I try to just soak in as much information as I can. So imagine, imagine for just a moment, this is a thought experiment, and uh, for a moment that you had gotten a job as a marketing director at the Flat Earth Society, and they were very nice to you, and they included you, and you learned what they had to teach. You would feel as if a member of that uh, of of a member of of their little group, their clique, and then you then you got attacked from the outside by people who didn't think like you did. What would be, do you think, your reaction to that? Would you be inclined to listen to them or would you be inclined to perhaps stay enclosed in your community where you know you're accepted? Well, speaking for myself, That's uh, right. I, I'd be inclined to to listen to everything. Oh, that, okay. You know, <laughs> that comes at me. Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> yeah. just because I'm part of a community, it doesn't mean I, I you know, I you're an idiot. I, I get it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good job, Tony. Yeah. yeah. All right. I was going somewhere with that, but okay. It failed. Super okay. Failed. So uh, we'll, good job. We'll, we'll go, you know, hypothetically, I would close off any other, you know, outside perspective and me and my flat earthers will just kind of keep going, you know, down the path that we're going. <laughs> So, okay. And I, I get your, I get what you're saying. You know, you're not going to just deny facts because right. you're in a community and that's, that's important. I guess maybe I, maybe I am selling, overselling the idea of community too much, but of those that have an invest, a vested interest in their, in their, uh, beliefs and their thoughts and their, and their, their facts, uh, they're less inclined, I think, to give it up for that reason. But, um, I'm the same way. I will, first of all, I would never, probably be working for someone in a flat earth group, but you know, it, and I, I would be like you as well, Alize. So um, it was just a thought experiment, but it didn't work. So, yeah, well, I think, I think it's important to, to recognize that these, I, I really think we should recognize that these people that have different beliefs than what are typical in the amateur and the professional astronomy community are not stupid for having different beliefs. They've had different experiences. And like I said, I mean, I didn't know any of this. I could not have told you what a galaxy was, you know, in any meaningful way until I was probably 30 because I got into the hobby of amateur astronomy, you know, but even that piece right there, you know, I, at this point, I have to deal with professional astronomers on a daily basis. I shouldn't say have to, I get to, because there's some of the best people I know. And I love, uh, I love talking to people that think about space on that level. But one thing I still think that the majority of the people I talk to in that in that space are guilty of is even that terminology where I've been to star parties and someone will say, oh, yeah, I'm an astronomer, too. And they're like, no, you're an amateur astronomer. 
And it's the only profession I've seen that has to designate that for their own validation. It's like, oh, no, you're an amateur. Don't don't dare say because you haven't done the schooling I have, you know, that you're a, you're an astronomer. You are an amateur astronomer. Get in your box. And it's like, who gives a shit, you know? Yeah. Who well, you cares? know. You, you know who the real asshole astronomers are? They're the ones who insist that you call them an astrophysicist instead of an astronomer. Uh, what is the difference between an astronomer and an astrophysicist? Do you What's think? that? Well, you tell me. What do you think the oh, difference is? Oh, this is a real question. I thought it was a joke. Yeah, yeah. I, no, well, it, <laughs> I was waiting well, for a it great kind of punchline. Is. It kind of yeah. is, but but I just want to know. What do you do? You guys see a difference between the two? Yeah, I I think that there's a lot of different I don't think that astronomy has a very clear definition as far as you know the scientific aspect of it um and like you would probably think of as an astrophysicist um there's I guess different tiers to that and I would look nope. at astronomy nope. itself as the overarching yeah I don't you know. know nope there's what, no difference what? really no difference nope same thing uh, there's no, the, the, the training you get in as an astronomer is identical to what you get as an astrophysicist. The difference is the word sounds cooler when you say astrophysicist and you can always right. tell I've met many, 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 many astronomers and the ones that always introduce themselves as astrophysicists are assholes. And, uh, you know, they, they with, uh, and, and it's because they're trying to set a certain level of ego, uh, whatever, uh, in the, in the, in the, conversation um that the only exception to that are are the women astronomers i've met who call themselves astrophysicists i think they are they have not been assholes um but the men have been and um it, it it's it, it's a big ego thing when you go to a conference and i've been to many and you talk to a astronomer about their poster or maybe ask them some questions during their during their talk or after their talk and they will start to throw huge amounts of jargon at you and right. um, while jargon is necessary in the higher concepts i get that but to the point of obvious obfuscation obvious ob you know what i mean muddying things up they use these big words and they um uh they um try to distract what they're, you know, they're trying to basically make what they're sounding, they're, they're studying sound more exalted than what it is. And I hung out with a guy, it was a senior scientist. It was one of my favorite experiences. I was just starting out. I went to the AAS with someone who had been the director of NCAR. He'd been, he'd been, he had made it as a, as a, as a, as an astronomer. And what he used to do was go to astronomers and he would start to talk to them about their paper. And he would ask them very basic questions about their research. Like, why, how does this relate to the second law of thermodynamics or whatever it is? Very basic stuff. And they, nine times out of 10, could not answer the question because they could not make that, they could, they didn't understand their own research enough to be able to go from first principles all the way up to where their research led. I saw that so many times through him showing me that it was really uh, uh, showing me just how, it showed me two things. First of all, everybody is trying to, it's highly competitive. To, to make it in academia and everybody's trying to get to the top and they want to seem like their research is the most important, most amazing thing ever. And, as, and the other factor is they're all insecure. Uh, 
There is a huge, there, there's a huge, they are, there's a huge problem called imposter syndrome where you reach a certain level of your career. You're considered an expert and you don't feel in some level that you deserve it. And it's, it's rampant in, uh, in, in science. That's what I think is so funny, though, you know, and um, we we kind of got into it a little bit with one, you know, we're we're working a lot with Space Fab and and other amateur astronomers in quote. And um, it's it's funny because, you know, we were at at an event that we organized and it was one of the um, the PhDs there. And I really don't want to say that it's it's all of them because it's really not. I mean, no, just as of many not. of these people are people like Pamela Gay and mm-hmm. Paul Sutter, who are absolutely amazing and would do anything to make anybody, to help anybody understand, you know, any component of this. Yep, so you Carol have, Christian. yeah, you have so many that would do just the opposite to reach anyone and just expand their knowledge of it and help any way they can. But you do get these assholes, man. And we, we had one and he's the same way. He's like, oh, yeah, well, these amateur astronomers contribute what they can. And I told him, I was like, well, you know, while you're busy begging for funding next year, we're going to launch a fucking space telescope. <laughs> so enjoy it because you'll be writing these papers that no one's ever going to read. And we're going to launch a space telescope and we might even give you time on it. That's what these amateur astronomers are going to do for you. But it's just, it's ridiculous that that's the way it is. Everybody should just be enjoying this and working together. And instead, it's got to be this thing that validates people's egos. And it's so stupid. Well, it starts for, it's, it's for somebody (laughs) just coming into, into astronomy, you know, a lot of it is research-based and you, you do have those people that you're talking about, but, you know, I feel like there are some who are just going into this solely for the you know, for the visual aspect or for the astrophotography. And it's just, it's rewarding to just take an image of a a galaxy and they're not so much concerned with the technical aspect of it. And the, the, you know, in my opinion would be the, the physics aspect of it, where that's where I think there is a difference a little bit with an amateur as astronomer, um, and an astrophysicist, because there are different, I guess, interests within astronomy, you know, for myself, I am interested in, again, I'm just starting out, but just simply taking an image of uh, a galaxy or a nebula without really thinking much about, you know, the emission lines and whatever else is happening, you know, within that nebula or galaxy. Uh, So I I feel like there are different ways to go about it. And it's kind of has different categories. We talk about that all the time on here, Tony, that, you know, you should enjoy this in whatever way you do. And so we bring, you know, artists and different people that that just have, you know, a passion for space, but for whatever reason it is they connect with. You know, your wife is a philosopher. I'm sure that she thinks about space a lot and what it means philosophically that this exists in just the scale of it. And whatever it is that draws you to it is where you should, you know, put your effort and your time in thinking about it. But I really don't think it should be something that's divisive. I think that this should be something that's unifying. And these are the reasons that I think that it's it's happening. And it's something that's preventable. This can be stopped if it gets any level of attention at all. And clearly, I mean, these questions are not easy for me to answer. And these are these are basic questions. And I've been in school 11 years, man. I should yeah. know this stuff right off the top of my head. And I don't. I don't like when we were when I asked you which way does the earth rotate I had to do exactly what you did I'm like god I don't know I yeah. have no idea. I'm actually yeah. shocked about from that. What, from what perspective and you know it's like yeah, which way exactly. is up in space and so you right. know, you, yeah you think about all kind of things. 
One of the things that worries me about this whole conversation, and it's worried me for a long time now as a science communicator, is how do we get out of this bubble? I have a YouTube channel, I have social media channels, and I and I and I talk to the same group of people over and over again. They're already interested. They already love astronomy. They're great, wonderful people. But how do I reach those who stumble on a video I make? And say that this is all crap, or that NASA is high, you know NASA is faking everything. How how do I communicate anything to them? And it's a real concern of mine. And I think that what the reason it's hard for me to break out of this bubble now is we've all become very uh, tribal in our various attitudes and cultures and likes and dislikes, and and science is no different. And because science has been so successful in teaching us about nature and the world we live in, it also feels like it can comment on things that aren't science. Uh, and the, the primary one being religion. It, you know, there's a lot of commentators and science educators who are really doing a disservice to science communication by attacking religion. And when you say that my wife was a philosopher, I have talked with her about this, uh, for hours on end. And so many times I wish I had recorded our conversations because we really get into the nuts and bolts of why astronomers and, and scientists do this and what, you know, why it's so self-defeating. And I think that in this day and age where anybody can get on uh, the internet and start saying things, people like Richard Dawkins and Sam Harris do a real disservice to, uh, the public by saying what they say about religion. They have no qualifications to talk about it. They need to stick to science. And what it ends up doing is pissing people off who aren't science literate, and they're not going to bother learning which way the earth rotates. They don't care uh, what a galaxy is. And they, they just could give two shits about a nebula. You know, they're not going to yeah. care. Well, and I think, I think that's their fault though. You know, at that point they should be interested. It's going to, there's going to, be controversy. There's going to be opposing sides to anything. And I think that uh, a lot of times fuels things for the better. So I don't, I don't think that having opposing, uh, you know, ideas about, about things is necessarily a bad thing. It's just making it relatable. Um, you know, astronomy and space is so out of reach. And for those who like myself don't know anything about it, it's, it's very, uh, you would never think that you can even have access to something like that. And I think that's where the issue lies is that, you know, people think they have to go out and spend $10,000 on a telescope to be able to even see anything, but that's not the case. So I think, you know, outreach programs and uh, anything else that really can just bring the average person closer to something that's, you know, as, as awesome as the universe. Uh, it's, I think those are things that will help. Uh, is just making it more accessible and making it more relatable um, and, and kind of thinking of it in that way. Can you yeah. tell she's got the uh, the OPT blood running through her there? Uh, yeah, you've, you've <laughs> right. definitely definitely got, <laughs> got that going. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. It's good, man. I'm very proud of that. And um, it's something that I do think is extremely important because as much as we're, we're trying and we're putting in effort to reach as many people as possible, Tony, it's not going to be you and I that make a dent in any way. It's going to be Alizé and all the people that get just a little bit of the information or get exposed to it in some way that is exciting that then they go and they talk to their friends and they start a conversation. Even if it's just a single conversation, that conversation can spread everywhere. 
it's not going to be a single podcast. It's not going to be a video. It's going to be reaching people in a meaningful way and letting people learn something that they feel like is worth learning. And it's having, having hands on too. um, something as simple as I haven't taken my own, uh, images of any deep, deep sky objects yet, but, um, something as simple as the moon, you know, we've got all these awesome metal prints all over the, the office. And one of them is of the moon and it's super high res. It's beautiful. Uh, and I took my own first moon shot a couple weeks ago. And even though it was not nearly as nice as some of the things that are posted around here, it was, I was super satisfied. You know, it was like, wow, I took this picture and I can see craters on the moon. You know, it was pretty cool. It's, uh, and it doesn't compare to a lot of the images that people here are capturing, but the fact that I was able to to capture that was really cool. So it's it's uh, and you small had a- steps, and it's having hands on and being able to know that you're you're achieving that and that you're you're getting those images and yeah, well, you had a direct connection with the moon that night, right? You, right, exactly. You did that. And um, I think the simple act of looking through an eyepiece is another connection. And I, I, it never fails. It, and that, this is something I'm very excited about doing with you, Dustin, because we're talking about going to Times Square and putting up a telescope. That, yes, is, that is going to be a chance. And I'm going to be fascinated to see how people react. Because this is a chance for people who've never, ever, ever looked through a telescope to be able to do that. And it never ceases to amaze me the reactions that you get when somebody looks through the eyepiece for the first time. They're, they've never had that connection, ever. And here they are looking at the moon or a planet or whatever it is. And it's a direct connection. And I think that's a, that is a good place to start. And, op- and by selling telescopes, you're able to do that directly. But as a science communicator, you want to inspire that interest somehow and do it in a way that, that, that they haven't heard you before. You know, you want to go to the people wherever they are and start just talking about the, the stars and, and the planets and, and get them engaged in some way. And don't become belligerent when they start saying, well, I don't believe NASA really went to the moon because that's a good way to start a fight. You know, I mean, if you go somewhere and you do an astronomy talk and then someone says, well, I think this is all crap. Uh, I, I think NASA is is uh, hiding a planet from us. Not only that, that we never went to the moon. We have never gone to Mars uh, with rovers. And and so this is all just crap. What's the science communicator supposed to do? Do you just what happens often is an argument ensues. <laughs> they know, right. You know, I, I that, think the important thing to ask is, is why they think that way. And it's not to right. even give your input and say, well, no, this is what I think. And this is what's right is okay. Well, why do you think that, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that's how you, you yep. start to create that conversation that even the person on the opposing end might even, you know, give thought to something else. And, it's important. And that's how you learn things. That's how you, you discover new ways of, of looking at things and thinking. Um, yeah. So, so. yeah, you, you're, and what you're talking about is precisely the right answer. You want to meet them where they are. If that's where they are, if they're at a point where they think that NASA faked the moon landing, you start there. Well, why do you think that? And what evidence do you have that that's the case? And and why would NASA do that? What would be the reason? Um, and then just just talk about it, you know, and and take them seriously. 
to as far as you can. You don't want to. You have to learn. This is a fine line between someone who's seriously, uh, you know, seriously trying to learn the truth and somebody who's a troll. Uh, because there are people who just want to get a response and they have, they just know they're going to get a reaction. So you have to learn that difference before you engage them. Uh, Mm -hmm. because there's a difference between, you know, being skeptical and being in denial. And so you want to try and identify those characteristics as best you can. And that's a challenge for me as a science communicator, learning where the trolls are. So let's go ahead and drop the news since you kind of touched on it a second ago, April 6th. That is the day uh, Tony and I will be in Times Square, New York City, uh, in Manhattan, with telescopes approved by the city this time. (laughs) So we will not be getting thrown out by the counterterrorism unit. We will be there with telescopes. And if you can come out, you should. It's open to everybody. Obviously, it's going to be a flood, just a sea of people. And Tony and I will be there most of the night, set up with telescopes, taking photos, letting people look through the eyepiece, showing people deep space from Times Square. And we promise you, if you come out, we will not call you stupid if you cannot <laughs> mathematically define the Big Bang Theory Absolutely. Right? or anything like that. But come out. And um, yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And man, for the first time ever, we're really doing that in a big way. And um, we'll be taking deep space images. So hopefully our, our plan is to let as many people as possible that night get their own images and leave with them from Times Square. Should be a pretty epic event. Yeah, and it'll be after March 21st, which is the equinox, so the nights will officially be longer than the days. I mean, sorry, no, the, I'm going to have to cut that out. because Days I had will a, be longer than the yeah, The days will be longer than the nights because I just got that fact wrong. So there's an example of what, not knowing what I'm talking about. Right now, Do you know the, anything about space? I know, what God. the hell? I know, what the hell? Are you even an astrophysicist? I, no, I astrophysicist, damn it. That's what, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the, the days will be longer than the nights. <laughs> so... <laughs> You just lost all credibility. I did. Done. Get off the show. And I'm not even going to cut this out. I'm going to leave it in the podcast. I am going to leave it here, folks, because I just made the mistake. Oh, well. Um, Okay. So that is, I I think we've solved all of the problems with relation to education systems and astronomy. And uh, also, we answered the question, is astronomy dead? Uh, No, it is not dead. I think is the answer to that. Definitely not. I I don't, yeah, I think the the literacy, like I said, is not nearly where it should be, but it's most definitely not dead. If anything, you know, more and more people are getting interested and with social media and with with all access to the internet and everything that people are sharing, that's going to, that's going to help tremendously as well. Right. Yep. I agree. Oh, Dustin, any final words? Uh, no, I'm, I'm excited about New York. We'll be there uh, for NEF and Times Square Imaging. So I hope a lot of people come out and that we get to meet a ton of astronomy interested people and we get to share, you know, space with them. Yeah, this will be my first NEF. I've never been to it. It's Northeast. What is it? New England Astronomy Forum. Is that what it is? Uh, North, Northeast. Northeast. Yeah. Oh, okay. Northeast Astronomy Forum. So yeah, it'll be a cool star party. I'll be I'm looking forward to that. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, we're going to cut it here. I want to thank our guest, Alizé Schilling. She is the marketing manager at OPT Telescopes. Thank you, Alizé, for taking time out to talk to us about this stuff. All right. And on behalf of Dustin Gibson, I want to thank you all so much for listening. And as always, keep looking up, especially when the days are longer than the nights. (laughs) 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 Bye-bye. Space Junk was produced by OPT Telescopes in Carlsbad, California, in partnership with Deep Astronomy. 
please send feedback and questions to spacejunk at deepastronomy.com.